So let's once again turn to the book of Philemon. We've been here now for two Sundays, and today is our last Sunday to give attention to this little inspired postcard. Not so much a letter as it is a postcard. And uh, my wife and I look forward to being with you. You are good for us. <laughs> you are. You, uh, you refresh us. And uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. How many of you are American citizens? How many of you are not? Ah, what's your home country? Albania. Albania? Interesting. No, because I've been to Kosovo. Yeah, and I have some very dear Albanian brethren that are living in Kosovo. Kosovo Leadership Academy, Nadine Hennessy, and Lobdom and Lydia. Yeah. Anybody else not? An American citizen? You're special. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, how many of you have your passports? Good for you. Because you never know when you may have to go somewhere. Either planned or unplanned. Well, all that to say that most Americans live with debt, and lots of it. Hmm. But two years ago, uh, this, is not, this is not bragging, but it's just with Thanksgiving. Two years ago, my wife and I paid off our house mortgage, okay? And... Uh, I mean, you talk about relief, you talk about wonderful release. Um, we were, two years ago, we are today debt-free. We have no debt at all. Now, it took us a while to get there, okay? But I want to say that debt-free living is so liberating. It is. Uh, now, just, by the way, just because we pay it off our house mortgage doesn't mean we don't have monthly payments. I mean, we still have insurance, property taxes, and before too long, those will increase to the level of our house payment. <laughs> yeah, but at least we won't have the house payment. Okay? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, not, not enough people uh, experience or are living debt-free, whether financially, but especially spiritually. There is nothing like debt-free living spiritually. Nothing like it. I mean, you can be up to your eyeballs in financial debt, and I hope you're not, by the way. I hope you're not. But you can have financial debt, and if you are spiritually debt-free, it's okay. You can, you can live like that. 
So Paul's letter to Philemon, uh, it's a true story, okay? This is a true story about two men that needed to be reconciled uh, due to debt. Onesimus, the slave, was in debt to Philemon, the master. Okay? And Philemon was Paul's, uh, the Apostle Paul's friend. Onesimus was Philemon's runaway slave, who was also a thief. He had stolen something, I don't know what, doesn't say what, but he took something that didn't belong to him, and he took it from his master, Philemon. And in the providence of God, this fugitive slave uh, made his way 1,200 miles from Colossae to Rome. An amazing trip. We don't have any details about the trip, we just know he went from Colossae to Rome 1,200 miles. Didn't know how long it took him, but that was his trip. And there, again in the province of God, he was imprisoned. We don't know why. But his cellmate was the Apostle Paul. Imagine that. What a coincidence. <laughs> Not. Right? And because he was placed in the same cell with the Apostle Paul, who never missed an opportunity to witness Christ, to share the gospel, Paul had the wonderful privilege of leading Onesimus to the Lord. And Onesimus became his spiritual son. And then, obviously, somewhere along the way, he told Paul his story. He was a fugitive slave, and he's from Colossae, and he took something that didn't belong to him, and lo and behold, now here I am. And Paul is going, whoa, I know your master. I know Philemon. We're friends. We're buds. And, uh, and now you're my son in the faith? And you're very useful to me? But you need to go back. I'm, I'm, I'm going to send you, I'm going to write a letter, put it in your hand, and I'm going to send you back to your master to make things right, to reconcile, and to give him an opportunity to forgive you. And all of that happened, and we've covered that ground, I think, rather sufficiently in previous weeks. Um, but Paul said, I'm going to send you back, and in sending you back, it's as if I am sending my own heart with you. Paul was saying, I'm going to send you back, Onesimus, my new son in the faith, my new brother in Christ, and when you go back, I... I hope Philemon will receive you as if he is receiving me. And so he does. Now, th there is this rabbinic saying that states this. If one teaches the son of his neighbor the law, the scripture reckons this the same as though he had begotten him. Now, that's not scripture. That's just some rabbinic saying, but it's kind of, kind of interesting, isn't it? So I, I put this spin on it. I, I think maybe a Christian version of that rabbinic saying might be something like this. To lead a lost sinner to faith in Jesus Christ is to become family forever. Okay? And so Paul and Onesimus are now brothers in Christ. Paul is his spiritual father. He's sending him back to his brother in Christ, co-worker. Philemon and Colossae, and uh, Paul is not underestimating 
what Onesimus did and how Philemon might receive him, but he's hopeful, he's prayerful, that Philemon will receive him in the right way, with the right spirit. And in what Paul wrote, it was kind of like Paul was very shrewdly couching what he said in such a way that Philemon could not miss the point, okay? Philemon knew what Paul's expectations were about receiving his uh, fugitive slave, who's no longer just a fugitive slave. He's now his brother in Christ. Boy, that's an interesting tension, isn't it? I don't know if you've had that experience where somebody that just wronged you, offended you, messed up, and then they get saved. And then they come back, and it's like, you dirty dog. <laughs> no. <sighs> Dang, now I have to love you, right? <laughs> now I have to love you. And that was his assignment. Paul mediated this reconciliation between these two men. And uh, let me just say, becoming a Christian, and I became a Christian 51 years ago. I was a junior in college when I got saved. And becoming a Christian is not an escape from responsibilities. It's not an escape from the consequences of your sin. It's not. Paul did not allow Onesimus to evade the consequences of his misdeeds. He wanted Onesimus to face them head on and rise above them. He was for Onesimus. He was for Philemon. He's trying to mediate the reconciliation that needs to take place between these two men. Let me put it this way. Christianity is a conquest. It's not an escape. We are spoils in the victory train of Christ. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, gave himself for us. That's who we are. Please do not underestimate nor minimize who you are in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Your value is in Christ. It's not what people think of you outside of Christ. It's who He is and whose you are. That's what matters. That's what matters. And I think Paul somehow communicated that to Onesimus, who very obediently, I'm not going to say not reluctantly, and put yourself in Onesimus' place. It's like, I mean, I just... I just traveled 1,200 miles getting away from him. I want to disappear. Now you're sending me back. You know, the best thing Paul could have done for him is face up your responsibilities, suffer the consequences of your sin. You're now forgiven. Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient, right? We just sang about that. And do what's right. Do what's right. Sometimes doing what's right is the bravest thing you can do. Don't be a coward. Don't run from that. Lean into that. Take care of that. That's what I try to encourage my family to do in Kenya. You're suffering the consequences of some things here that uh, you need to face up to. 
rise above. Onesimus left Philemon. Remember who Onesimus is? He's the fugitive slave, okay? He left Philemon a useless, no good, very bad slave. But he returned to him as now a useful, helpful brother in Christ. And I'm not saying those are easy transitions to make. I mean, I, you know, I, I've known people that supposedly got saved, and I'm going, yeah, right, well, we'll see. Time will tell, right? Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Doubting Thomas here, okay, that's, honestly, I'm just tell, telling my heart. And then I watched the life change happen right before my eyes, and I say, whoa, only Christ could have done that. Praise God. So here's Onesimus. He's this useful, repentant brother. And so Paul in this letter, and the verses we want to really give attention to are verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. But in verses 18 and 19, Paul wrote this to Philemon about Onesimus. If he has wronged you at all, well, he had, okay? It's not an if, I wonder if he did. No, it's since. Since he wronged you. I know he did. Or owes you anything. And I know he does. Charge that to my account. Charge that to my account, Paul says. And then later on he says, I will repay it. I'm good for that debt. I'll pay the debt that he owes, but he can't pay. I'll do that. So I'm going to suggest this is not some proposed agreement between Paul and Philemon as much as it is a, a, a story of not only forgiveness and reconciliation, but I've used this word before with you and you'll, you'll recognize it, but of imputation of how something that is owed that cannot be paid by the debtor is paid by somebody else and credited to his account. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, and this is an illustration of that. This is a true life story illustrating what Christ did for us. Hmm. Philemon was the one owed payment. Onesimus was the debtor who owed it to him, and he had zero means of making good on that debt. He could not do that. So Paul said, Put it on my account. Now, there are some of you here right now going, oh, man, I just got my credit card statement. I had no idea I had run up that kind of a bill. Well, you should have. Don't you keep track? You know? This is an aside, but when we lived in Delaware, my first pastor was in Delaware, Ohio, and we had a young mother, single mom, bunch of kiddos, and uh, she came, she was a neighbor of ours, and she, she came to us one time, <laughs> oh gosh, and, and I hope none of you have ever done this, but if you did, okay, listen, she came to us and she said, I am in so much trouble, 
Well, we said, what's going on? She said, well, I got this thing in the mail from this credit card company, and they said, you have a line of credit upwards of $5,000, and I thought that was free money. Oh. Yeah, I'm going, oh, so what did you do? <laughs> so I charged $5,000 worth of merchandise. And now they expect me to pay it. Oh my. Long story short, we got her some uh, financial counseling, kind of a Dame, Dave Ramsey approach to uh, handling your finances. And, and I tried to intervene for her with a credit card company, tried to explain to them, okay, this is, this is you know, kind of understand how that can happen, you know. She needed somebody to come alongside of her and say, I got this. I'll pay that debt for you. That was not I, <laughs> but I helped her. That, that's what we have here. So first of all, Onesimus is debt to, to Philemon. He stole something from Philemon. He ran away. He cost Philemon the loss of goods and services. So in this letter, Paul asked Philemon to credit Onesimus' debt to him. Charge that to my account. And Paul assumed responsibility for Onesimus' debt. He was willing to pay a debt he did not owe for one who owed a debt he could not pay. By the way, I have to think, in Paul's day, in first century A.D. culture, this probably was like unheard of. Like, who, who, are, who does this? I mean, who assumes somebody else's debt? Who does this? It's not unheard of today, but it's not exactly common, right, for someone to do that today. So I'm going to say this story mirrors a greater story, doesn't it? it, it it's almost like an analogy, though it's true and that of the debt paid by Jesus Christ for our sins. See, like Onesimus, we, you and I, every human being, we owe a debt we cannot begin to pay. It's huge. It's deep. It's unpayable. We, we, there's no way. And Christ paid the debt we owed that he didn't owe on our behalf. That's what he did. He did that on the cross of Calvary. And here, here's the good news, okay? You want some good news? Here's the good news. Whenever a lost sinner repents and confesses his need of a Savior and confesses his sin, knowing that God is faithful and just to forgive us, his sin, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When a sinner does that, and when Christ saves that lost sinner, his or her debt is credited to Christ. It's charged to his account that whatever debt is gone. 
I want you to think about this, that this week. I've been living with this now for weeks. And uh, I'm still blown away by this whole thing called imputation. That's more than forgiveness. It is the canceling of a debt. It's... See, our sins were imputed or credited to Christ. And this story here, this true story, pictures the blessedness of forgiveness and imputation. Yeah. Did Paul know what he was writing? I mean, he, he wrote this. Did he understand that? I, I probably not. He was, but by the Spirit of God, God is putting to print what we now look at and go, oh my word, this is such a picture of our sins being credited to Christ, our sins being charged to His account. Such a picture. So, that's His debt to Philemon, but what about our debt to God? So I want you to turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3, if you would please. Genesis chapter 3. We'll come back to uh, Philemon. But, Genesis chapter 3, as many of you know, is, is the story of uh, how sin entered into the world and death by sin, Romans 5.12. And here we have the story of Adam and Eve disobeying the Word of God, offending God, transgressing His Word, wronging God here in Genesis chapter 3. And you say, well, how'd they do that? Well, you know how they did that. They listened to the serpent. They gave more heed to him than they did to God. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we're very vulnerable to the lies of the devil. I mean, they sound kind of, that makes sense. Yeah, I wonder why God didn't tell me that. I wonder why I had to hear that from you. Maybe God doesn't have my back after all. Maybe, maybe... God isn't for me, you know. I mean, I, I don't know how all that translates into your heart, but sometimes we believe lies be, before we believe truth. And so Eve ate of the fruit of the tree that she was told not to eat from. Sin entered into the world, and the rest is history because you are the unfortunate, and I am the unfortunate beneficiaries of their sin. Beneficiaries? Uh, victims of their sin. So man became a rebellious, listen to this, man became a rebellious runaway, just like Onesimus. Uh, running, hiding, blame shifting, hiding from God, all of that was just... What happened here? Fallen man was put under the curse of sin. He was then banished from the garden. He was a hopeless, helpless debtor to God. And so we have in Genesis chapter 3 the, the story of this. Let's just, I've got it up here on the screen. Well, that's really small print, isn't it? <laughs> but I had to make it fit. So that's Genesis 3, 1 through 8, right there, okay? And you can read that. I won't take the time to read that to you. Um, so in the book of Romans, Paul clearly, clearly reveals fallen man's guilt. 
By the way, it was the book of Romans that God used to cause me to be convicted by the Spirit of God of my sin and to call upon the name of the Lord and to be saved when I was 21 years old. It happened one Friday night after a party, went home, hadn't drunk anything that night, went to my room, opened the Bible, of all things, I'm like, like, that had to be the Spirit of God. I mean, I didn't normally go home after a party and open the Bible, all right? So I opened the Bible, and it just opened to the book of Romans, and I read the whole book, all 16 chapters. And you talk about being wrecked, ruined, convinced. That I was one of those none seeketh after right, none seeks after God. There is, I'm not righteous. I have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of my sin is death. <coughs> but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we confess with our mouth, having believed in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be... I got saved that night. I mean genuinely, truly saved. And I've never looked back. I mean 180 degrees, just... Man. Just you and the Bible? No, me and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's how it happened. And praying parents. So we are by nature ungodly, unrighteous sinners, and we do not naturally, listen, we do not willingly seek after God. That is not our bent. That is not what we want. It's all about me and what I want. Until the Spirit of God intervenes and says, You are lost. You need a Savior. You need your sins forgiven. And, and I was that you, 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 that Friday night. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, which is God's perfect standard. We don't measure up. There's not a one of us that measures up. There's not a one of us that's good enough. Or done enough good deeds. We can't. Sin separates us. It results in physical, spiritual, and eternal death. Separation. That's what death means. Separation. And the debt is impossible to pay. I can't believe these people that say, you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the life, at the end of eternity, my good deeds will kind of outweigh my bad deeds. Are you kidding me? Where do you get that? That is not in the Bible, and that's really bad thinking to start with. Who do you think you are? That you can earn that kind of credit from God. So here's an amazing truth. I, I give this to you kind of as I wrap things up. Here's an amazing truth. When a sinful debtors, when sinful debtors trust Christ, their debt is credited to him who already paid for those sins. The payment's been made. Jesus said, done, it is finished, to tell us die, paid in full. There's nothing more to pay than what has been paid. 
So how in the world? <laughs> how in the world? Well, number one, Jesus Christ is the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. You know what a substitute is. I'm a substitute. <laughs> I am. Okay. Dave Warren is the interim pastor here. He's been laid aside due to pancreatitis and gallbladder and who knows what. Pray for him, by the way. But I'm his sub. Like it or not, you got me. All right. But you, you have substitute profs, you have substitute teachers, you have substitute surrogate parents. I mean, all kinds of... Okay, so Christ is our substitutionary... He died for you and me. On our behalf, He took our place on the cross. He bore our punishment. Sin's debt had to be paid, and thus a, sub listen, a substitute had to be found, but that substitute had to be special. He had to be sinless. He had to be debt-free Himself for whatever He did to count on our behalf. So God Himself sent His only Son to be the Lamb who took away the sin of the world and became the, not a, but the substitute for sin. Substitutionary atonement. The covering of our sin. But secondly, he is the satisfactory sacrifice for our sins. This is an amazing thing to me because uh, God is so holy, God is so just, God is so righteous, and because of who God is, uh, he, needed, he needed a sacrifice that would satisfy His wrath, His just wrath, His holy wrath. And so Jesus, as the satisfactory sacrifice, His death was, and I'm throwing these big eight-cylinder words at you, propitious. His death was propitious. In other words, it satisfied. It met the demands of a holy God and satisfied His righteous wrath. Oh my, uh, boy, just, just read through the Gospels and... You get an idea, especially in the latter chapters, just what was required to satisfy the holy, righteous wrath of God. We couldn't do that. Maybe at best, I could die for my own sins. There's no way I could die for the sins of the whole world. But Jesus did. And His death appeased, it satisfied the righteous wrath of a just God. Our sins somehow we have to somehow understand what an offense our sin is to God. If you limit the offense of your sin to your roommate, your parents, a sibling, a friend, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. David said against you, you only have I sinned. And we will never understand what our sin really is, unless we understand the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God Himself. And we have a 
offended him. And there's no way under heaven we could come close to appeasing his wrath, his righteous, just wrath. And so that same God provided his own substitute for us. Oh my. I'm overwhelmed even as I preach this. I think, oh my gosh. I can't believe this. We cannot please God. We cannot make amends for our wrongs. We cannot do that. Can't. So his death was not only propitious, it satisfied, his death was provisional. It was provisional. Jesus' Tony work on the cross secured a value which he did not need for himself. He wasn't paying his own debt. He wasn't paying for his own sins. He was without sin. He is absolutely, utterly sinless. That's why he could be our substitute. That's why God accepted his sacrifice. Because he is without sin. But he understands our sin because he understands temptation. Because he was at all points tempted like as we are, but without sin. He never sinned. So Jesus paid it all on the cross, and when he shouted those words, it is finished, or one word, to tell us die, he was saying, paid in full. And when he did that, every time someone believes on him, God takes, takes his big old rubber stamp that has paid in full and goes, on our lives. He did that to me when I was 21 years old. Paid in full. Debt free. But somewhere along the way to get that, you have to transfer Whoever you're trusting, whatever you're trusting, you've got to transfer your trust from whatever that is to Christ, Christ alone. Because he paid the debt. No one else has done that. No one else can do that. So every sinner who repents of his sin, confessing it to God and placing faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, every single sinner, whosoever will, every one is debt-free. Forever. Debt free. Gone. Sin's payment is credited to Christ. The punishment is forgiven. The penalty is expunged. The debt is paid in full. I don't know how else to say it. It's amazing. It's so undeserved. It's grace, right? It's just grace. Martin Luther remarked, we are all the Lord's anathema. We are forgiven debtors. We are slaves to sin. We are runaways from God. We are prodigals. We are not right with God. We are in debt to Him, and we can do absolutely nothing about that but Christ. God sent His Son to die for our sins, to take our place on the cross. His death satisfied God's just demand 
for payment. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Hmm. Whoever believes on Jesus, God says to that sinner now under the blood of Christ, credit their payment to Christ. Their debt is paid in full. I think that's why the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians says, I am absolutely dumbfounded. I am perplexed that having begun by grace, you're now living by law. Are you kidding me? Who's bewitched you? Why are you believing a lie having believed the truth? What is wrong with you? So if you're a Christian, I am. I would suppose most of you are, but I'm not going to assume that all of you are. If you are a Christian like I am, you are not perfect. Get over that. But you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are debt-free in Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. If you're not a Christian, God knows who you are. I don't. But if you're not a Christian, <laughs> I would not want to be in your shoes because you are in incredibly deep, unrecoverable, unpayable debt. Unbelievable. You are drowning in debt. But the good news is, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what, class? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I just say in closing, I can't change a heart, I can't bring conviction, I can only be the messenger of truth. But I do believe the Spirit of God can do all of the above. And so my appeal to you this morning is believe on Christ and be debt free. Heavenly Father, your word is... Uh, well, your son said, now are you clean by the word that I have spoken to you. Hmm. Oh, there's nothing like being clean. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's probably more for the believer than it is the non-believer. Because even as a Christian, Lord, you know, you know, I have soiled my life too many times. But if we, if I say what you say about sin in my life, 
because you are faithful, because you are just, you forgive and you cleanse from all, from all unrighteousness. So Lord, by your Spirit, please bring conviction of sin upon someone here today that needs to be saved. He or she is a runaway slave, blame-shifting, running, hiding. But you are the hound of heaven, and you are in pursuit of them because you are a good, faithful, loving, gracious, merciful God. May someone repent today and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. May those of us who have repented and believe, may we continue to repent. May we continue to believe, thus proving the genuineness of our salvation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.